I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guest today is Jason Fisher, filmmaker, graphic artist, and photographer, and founder of the creative agency Surreal Media Lab. Our conversation today is being recorded by Zoom. Support for this show comes from the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce. We don't coast. We accomplish more together. Details at omahachamber.org. In 2002, in a rented storage closet in the basement of iconic Leola's Records and Tapes in North Omaha, Jason Fisher officially launched Surreal Media Lab, a boutique marketing branding firm that is home to Jason's many diverse creative exploits. Something of a renaissance man, Jason is an artist, designer, photographer, filmmaker, community activist, and entrepreneur. Surreal Media Lab is a place and a philosophy where Jason's creativity, business, and community endeavors can be for-profit and mindful of matters of humanity. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Stuart. I feel like the place to start is you at the age of three. And so at the age of three, your entrepreneurial spirit had already kicked in when you started tattooing other kids with a magic marker and charging them. So please tell us about that story. You know, uh, I just recall going to visit uh, a cousin of mine out in Denver. And I just feel like my grandparents and some people around me, my mother, uh, just very um, industrious people always had a side gig, a side hustle. And uh, I think that's, I imagine that's where I get it from. I'm, I was trying to figure out how did I come and concoct this idea. And uh, so I just remember it. I remember it being uh, just a day and going out and uh, somehow just said, I'm going to draw on kids' arms. I don't remember how much money I made. I just remember doing this. It, I, it was before I went to school. I wasn't in school yet. And uh, I don't remember, you know, it was a, a time and a place and a space where you could be out three years old, three, four years old. And I guess go around at least in the little cul-de-sac that my, my aunt and uncle lived in. And so, yeah, I, I remember that and, and was trying to figure out how did I get where I'm at now and in, in creative as a business? Because um, like many things in my life, thinking back um, have been happy accidents. Uh, it wasn't by design. You know, my, uh, my mother just wanted me to be a little bit more successful than each, you know, most of our parents wanted to be a little bit more successful, but uh, this, if I tell you my other, uh, I'll, I'll share with you later, but, uh, that was just kind of the, the memory that I had. And, and, and I thought, wow, that was the first time as an entrepreneur that I took creativity and a business and had started it out. And, um, later on in life too, after college, fast forward, I was still trying to find myself. I had moved to Houston and I was down there for a few years and I did do an apprenticeship as a tattoo artist. That's, that's another thing that I don't have in my bio is that I legitimately went and apprenticed down in Houston at a, a very uh, infamous tattoo shop that had been around for decades called Dago's. And uh, I apprenticed as a tattoo artist after college. So, yeah. I think you're a very hard man to define. And I think that's part of your um, 
part of your appeal, you know, not only to me, but but I think also to the community at large. And maybe this is a way into asking another question about sort of your history, your journey, as it were. So you were born in DC, is my understanding. You mentioned Houston just now, spent a year or so working in LA. You've lived in at least six states, you know, more than a dozen cities. It makes me want to ask then, how have those experiences formed who you are and how you see the world? You know, it's given me, I mean, I, I also kind of did my own timeline because our own, you know, I realized that a lot of us, I mean, all of us, our own experience in life is subjective. It's our normal. You know, if you grew up with 10 brothers and sisters uh, in, in a household, that was someone's normal. My normal was moving probably every two years. My mom was uh, a single parent, uh, you know, constantly on the move and on the go with a lot of life experiences. DC was part of her journey and working for the government and then moving later here to work for the government as well. That's how we got to Omaha. But, you know, all those different experiences and places just gave me, I think, a comfort for most people. I, I say if I'm uh, my, my super, one of my, I, I don't know if, I, if it's a superpower, but just being able to be uncomfortable is my comfort place to ask uncomfortable questions, to have uncomfortable conversations. So very fluid, you know, and that's, that's really what I look at. It's, it's made me very uh, open-minded to all different walks of life. It's just normal to me. You know, I just, I just feel comfortable because I'm always uncomfortable. Uh, so I feel comfortable everywhere. And, and I would say that's about the best way I've been able to articulate that is, is kind of that, that life experience that you talk about. Thinking about that journey, tell us what was your childhood like? You know, what, what were your formative years up through before you get to college? Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, I think having grandparents that grew up in the Depression era that uh, were very industrious, hardworking, crafty, and creative folks themselves. Um, they had a they had a shop uh, that you know was a small business uh, where they did a lot of kind of crafts, you know, pine cone wreaths and uh, flower arrangements and you know uh, wedding, you know, just knickknacks, all types of things, but all handcrafted goods. And I think all of those like childhood experiences of growing up without technology having to use your imagination and, uh, you know, the technology were uh, whatever you could get your hands on uh, and be creative with, because I was constantly trying to be creative. And, uh, and then I had fortunately a family who was very supportive. I didn't realize how supportive they were until you become adult and you start talking to other friends and how they grew up. And then you're kind of like, you know, I I didn't have parents uh, or a mother or grandparents family who said, go get a real job, you know, um, they always encouraged me on uh, post-education and, and things of that nature, but I didn't realize what I had until I grew up as an adult and I would talk to other people and they would, you know, and, and other creatives especially, and say that. So, you know, with my grandfather saying, hey, here's a wood shop with band saws and knife sharpening tools and circular saws. And I'm, I still, I'm trying, still trying to do the math on that. And I was like, you know, first grade first or second grade. And, 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 I, and the fact that I have all my fingers is, is, is a wonder, but you know, that was the, the instilled confidence that even they had to have and that they had to grow up in working with their hands, being craftspeople, being artisan, um, again, being innovative in ways where you had nothing but 
you know, raw materials to make something out of. And so um, through all the different life experiences that I've had and, and looking back, that's, that's, you know, that's kind of the, the making of uh, just seeing a wealth of unlimited possibilities and, and um, abundance. I'm wondering who else in your life, um, either as you were growing up or even more recently, have sort of inspired you, given you, you know, influenced you in a way that has really, you know, been an inflection point for you personally as you develop? I see innovation or, or not innovation, but I see inspiration, I should say, in just about anyone. Um, I literally will see uh, an individual who may look like they're down on their luck. And, uh, you know, I see the humanity, I see the innovation, I see myself in them. Um, but, you know, in, in a bigger picture sense, um, I'd say the individuals who inspire me that I can think of uh, specifically is, is Rudy Smith. Um, Rudy Smith was a photographer here. He was a photographer here in Omaha that had uh, a civil rights. He, I mean, he just had a breadth of work. He worked for the Omaha World Herald. He was one of the photographers that... And, and I got to meet, I mean, I got to meet him, you know, here in Omaha, we all get to meet local heroes and legends. And those, those individuals that say anybody, you know, such as him, where I've had a conversation, but his legacy mindset of um, the work, the footprint, the uh, time that all of this uh, creative input that we're constantly putting out, and especially being in media and creative, you know, what footprint does that have? And so I'd say he'd, he'd probably be the one of the one of the larger ones. Um, I didn't I don't I never met Mildred Brown, but, you know, uh, hearing her story and Dr. Mark, Dr. Marguerite Washington, um, I did. You know, we actually worked with the Urban League and uh, some youth and interviewing her, uh, you know, and that was before she passed away. No one knew of her health or anything else. And just taking each one of those moments and those individuals locally when we would meet and get a chance to have those conversations, uh, whether it be on or off camera, that's, you know, I'd say those, those people that traditionally were the legacy people, the individuals who uh, had that vision and foresight to understand that that was historical, that that was going to leave um, a footprint on culture and community. Those are the individuals that I can think of off, you know, the top of my hand, uh, head. There's countless others that you know I get to come across. But uh, being from artist standpoint, those are some of the the few. But there's you know many others. I read somewhere on your website, Surreal Media Labs, a natural extension of uh, a fierce artistic combined with entrepreneurial mindset. 
So I'm just wondering about the way you combine a philosophy about your creative spark with the business of doing business in the world. I don't know if it's cliche, but it's true. It's, it's not fully understood when someone says, hey, follow your passion, the money will come. And um, in a sense, um, I try not to worry about the bottom line as much as I do as the outcome. One thing I share with uh, clients and associates of mine is if, if I can't be of service to someone uh, or if we can't help make them stronger or better or more efficient or whatever the goal is or connected with more people, engagement, if we can't help them to their goal, they won't be able to hire us again. They won't be, we won't be able to work together anymore. The lights get shut off and the things get turned off and that's about it. However, it's always not a happy ending. Sometimes you can come up with a solution. Um, I'm currently we're traversing along a path where uh, it's becoming more strategy. Uh, we're, I mean, we've always been strategy, but more of the strategy and consulting side of things have fell into it to where it's out of our hands. We can give someone the blueprint. We can give someone the access to tools. We can give them the, you know, everything that, that they need to be successful, but it's out of our hands. And that's, that's a little unnerving for me. And that's, I think that's what's kept me, uh, kept all of us here, um, you know, going is Native American, at least this is where I learned it from. There's uh, three things that drive just us as a people, as humanity, is the what, the so what, and now what. Uh, those series of questions help propel uh, movement forward. You know, when I when we heard this, it was just a matter of that light bulb again saying, okay, I can relate to that. But th- those that that just whole process of sometimes caring more than the individual on the outcomes um, is there. And, you know, and, and just being engaged. And I know at times uh, I'll get involved with the board again and I'll be I'll ask a question. And because I come from the creative field and I feel like anyone in the creative discipline uh, understands that you kind of tear things down to make it better and you build it stronger and you constantly are tearing down ideas and making it better and building it stronger or looking at a different perspectives. Anybody who's good at it could be dance, can be music, can be whatever, play it again, do it again, do it again. Right. And keep, keep doing it until it gets better. Um, however, though, in, in corporate and everything else where it's kind of top down most of the time, it's not very lateral. There is no discussion. It's, you know, this is what needs to be done and that's done. And if someone really did have an answer or a question that could help that, you know, it sometimes it's overlooked. It's like, didn't you hear what I said? You just, you do this, don't ask any questions. But I realized when I got into those conversations and, and um, was asked to be on boards and I asked some of those questions, at first it was a little, uh, it came off as abrasive, but you know, it wasn't meant to be harmed. It was always to improve uh, the movement of the dance but, you know, at sometimes for some people, uh, a little bit of constructive in the criticism for the growth and betterment of it can be a little abrasive. And that's never an intent. It's always with the best heart and mind. It's never to be uh, scolding or better than or looking down my nose at anyone. It really is because, I, you know, just the care and the compassion that I have um, for something or just blindly just being in the creative space and just blurting out ideas because we're constantly doing that all the time and uh, coming up with the next best solution to whatever the case, you know, issue may be, so.
Is there a project perhaps that you look back on as maybe illustrative of your mindset around um, giving a client a great outcome, speaking to the subject matter, um, letting your creativity come out, but also doing something that actually is um, just good business? I feel like it's always collaboration. And, and, you know, it's a word that's thrown around a lot, but any of the work that we do is only a partnership with someone else's business organization or as an individual, as, as much as they'll allow us to work together. If it's ongoing and it's open and um, there's great leadership on both sides or great kind of that balance of everything, it's great. Um, I say that to say is that, you know, we have uh, a lot of small wins and uh, those are happy to just see that uh, those have helped someone to their next step in their journey. Um, I feel like one of the ones that was kind of the perfect culmination of those elements would be uh, out of frame, uh, the documentary that we got a chance to work on. And not because it was so widely acclaimed and such, it was really because it was the perfect storm. Out of Frame, uh, so it's a documentary film, mm -hmm. um, and it's fully titled Out of Frame, Unseen Poverty in the Heartland. Yes. And it was uh, uh, released in 2015, and it follows the lives of four individuals struggling with uh, living on the edge of homelessness. And I think this might have been a quote from you, but it seeks to touch on the perception of poverty that is in America today. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about the genesis of this documentary film. So I just wanted to make it, make that clear that that's, that's what it was. You know, fast forward, it wasn't planned out. Mike Kornacek, the executive director of Together and I, happened to, uh, I, I, I got an email or, or something from someone uh, years later, maybe it was a year or two later. And they said, hey, we're thinking about doing this documentary um, about Together. You know, our, our 40th anniversary is coming up. And I'm like, sure. And I said, okay, I'd be willing to do it as long as we can make it about the issues and how Together works on those issues and, and collaborative efforts that you all do versus do we want to do it on 40 years of Together? Can we make it about, I think it will have more legs to be able to do that in a sense to where it's the issues that are timeless. Unfortunately, I hope that there's a time that those aren't issues. Um, but I said, these are things that transverse space and time. And they were more than willing to do that. I said, I'd be willing to do that if that. And, and they said, we love that idea. Even though being 40, around 40 years is a, is a great accomplishment, just them willing to make it about the issues and uh, make it about the stories, everyday stories of individuals who uh, came from all different walks of life. Uh, one was a veteran. Uh, one uh, person had got injured on the job. Uh, another person, of course, had, you know, a, a very relatable substance and alcohol abuse that we see in news and that we've lived through on our own lives. Um, you know, and another and, and, and another person, you know, is just a person that just fell on hard times, you know, and, and it was just kind of the snowball effect where they didn't have a support system. And so you look at all these different stories and that's that wasn't picked out. I just said, hey, let's just get some individuals that are willing and comfortable to share that experience with us if we were to have a behind the scenes talk of that film and how it was made, it really happened the way it happened. Uh, there, this wasn't a reality show. There were no scripts. There were real people that were very vulnerable. And, um, you know, I was just really nervous about uh, uh, being exploitive and making sure that they had the respect and that they knew that they were heroes. 
that, and not um, from a, a condescending way, but in a hero ship of that, they didn't quit. They weren't looking for a handout. And a lot of the cliches or a lot of the, uh, you know, just assumptions that many people, or I can't say many, but too many people just, uh, I don't know how many, but uh, it, it, it just wasn't there. It humanized the issues that were there in, in a nutshell. And so we got done with that. Um, it was a big weight off my shoulder because I'll tell you the, the most nervous I've ever been in my life. And, I, and I've been through a few things um, was just having them private screen the individuals who were in the film private screen first. And it was only a room full of maybe 20, 30 people, but just hard in my throat, you know, just, it was just unnerved. And once I got the blessing of, I finally feel like someone heard me. That's all the accolades I could ever need. Now, fast forward after we uh, get the film out and we get a few screenings here locally, which is generous, generous enough by film streams and other folks, you know, we ended up getting a couple of awards um, and getting to some film festivals um, at a telly award. And, and so that was uh, uh, some encouragement that we had. Cause again, not about the accolades, but again, getting the awareness up for the issues at hand and uh, the work that together does that says, Hey, we're not all in this. And just the collaborative effort. I mean, that's everything that I embody. So, I mean, that overall, that kind of uh, possibility where, you run into organization or company and that willingness to continue to do that. And then five, six years later, even to now, it still is a perfect example of how their efforts have worked literally together and how um, that one idea that we had of saying, Hey, you know, you could print a bunch of brochures, you could do all these different campaigns, but why not share some stories and how do we share it effectively? And how do we make this, engaging for the community and the people that you all are servicing. And this is pre-pandemic. Uh, um, and now they've reached record numbers and everything else, but it helped be that foothold be, to be the organization stronger and larger, to be that support system that the whole country's, you know, uh, needed in, in these times. So, I mean, you, you can't, can't feel much better than that. Yeah. Hoping for a sincere performance but open to finding the moment To finding out where I'm headed now Looking for a sign of disaster So I can make it there faster I'm weighing the consequences out I'm wondering if you just have a perception or a take on what is the entrepreneurial ecosystem like here? What is the risk tolerance or, or the appetite for discomfort creatively and culturally? 
Um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll all have different opinions, but what's your take on that? Uh, you know, I feel like we, we're a pretty comfortable city. You know, I have this theory on it and I'm not mad about it. I mean, I'm, I'm here for that reason. As you said, I've lived a lot of other places and spaces and I need time for ideas to kind of uh, grow. I need some time to reflect. A lot of times it's just how I move. And uh, I, I know I can live in an L.A. I know I can live in a, in a Houston or a New York because I've traveled there plenty of times and uh, used to travel there quite a bit. Um, I know I could probably survive and thrive in those environments, but uh, the amount uh, of level of, of stress and, and barriers to opportunity, to, to larger opportunities and more abundant opportunities is a little bit different here. So I, I do, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. It's, it's a little bit uh, easier going in, the, in those regards. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, hardworking, you know, that's our Midwest, that's our and the Midwest work ethic that, you know, we pride ourselves so much on. But, um, you know, I also feel I kind of did this equation and, and this is no shots at anyone. It's just, and it, it was Gallup poll and it was uh, saying that happiness is at $75,000 a year cap, anything past that. And they did this study years ago. And, 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 you know, then we have the most millionaires per capita. So you kind of do this equation and saying we have a very, a lot of really comfortable people, but I feel like that where discomfort and where, un, you know, being uncomfortable where those conversations kind of what's happening, even uh, culturally, nationally right now, uh, there's been a lot of comfort um, nationally on uh, whether it's business or finance. I mean, it's brought a lot of things to light, um, a lot of topics to light to where you can't look past what's happening and what should have happened or what could happen um, and, and bringing up those conversations that are hard to have conversations. But then once that eruption happens, uh, then there's this um, kind of uh, settling of, of, of compromise and understanding uh, possible empathy or change, as we like to call it. And uh, that's the hope, you know, so I see a lot of that and um, I wish there was an easier way, but I feel like just as anything else in nature, there's, there's always an eruption. There's enough pressure underneath the surface. So I see that here. I see there's been a lot of that, but I also feel like that's been the economic climate of a lot of places, you know, for Omaha kind of reaching that first million centralized people growth point you know, we're, we're going through some growing pains and that's, that's culturally and everything else. Um, uh, but in order for it to grow, I feel like that discomfort is, is there for a reason, you know, I mean, it can be a topic as much as a streetcar, which I'm all a fan of and mass transportation and, uh, you know, city planning and density and all these different things like the chamber and all its partners are really pushing towards and for, and, and I love being a part of those conversations because those are challenging conversations of generationally, uh, racial, economic. It, it slices across all demographics. So I really like those complicated experiences. Um, I like to throw out my wild and they may not be wild, but they're wild because they're just not the typical ideas. But that's where we come from as creatives as well. But I like to throw those out because, uh, you know, doing what we've been doing hasn't worked so you know why not something different a lot of communities talk about brain drain right and you mm. see you know young people leave and so on and so forth but um it's become really clear that it's really pronounced in this area for minorities leaving yeah um, about six six 
I'm sure it's more than six times the normal. Let's just take the last Georgia election results and you look at communities like Atlanta that are just thriving hubs for uh, you know, African-Americans and other minorities. You know, why wouldn't people go there? And I can totally understand it. It's hard to invest. Um, and, and this is a conversation I like to have with some of the folks that I know that are community developers and you know, own, own large swaths of land. But you know, I, I think of uh, uh, Omaha, if it were a, uh, a set of investments that were, we got too many eggs in one basket, you know, as far as investing wise. And it's hard, like uh, I think for times because of uh, abilities to invest money elsewhere, um, geographically, like Omaha, as far as being 10, 15 years landlocked, um, we're getting to that point. And so North Omaha, the place that's been kind of looked past and overlooked and uh, less developed on for decades and decades and decades is the crown jewel. It's, it's the final, it's the, it's, it was the first frontier and it's the final frontier. I like to think of North Omaha as the crown jewel, um, you know, of the crown of Omaha. And uh, it, it will be rightfully placed at some point in time. And I say that to say is, I mean, how, how would I as an investor, if I think business logics 101, right, being the safe bet, why would I make the investment? And the investment is the, is the long bet of the investment of the community, investment of the people. Uh, my, if I have enough money, my, uh, is it my duty of uh, having that level of wealth to impart upon opportunity and wealth to others, is that my social duty to do that beyond the wealth and beyond the money? But short-term wise, if I'm an investor and I'm looking at uh, a place that is more risky, is a demographic that I don't understand, don't know, can't navigate, or isn't gonna have the ROI sooner, quicker, faster, stronger, and there's, there's no tax incentive, there's no uh, incentive at all, where it doesn't make any sense. And that's just the simple logic behind it. So I, I look at those things and I understand them, but I also feel like beyond that is, is what is hard to see maybe from a, a for-profit side, not just philanthropy, but why do I invest and how do I invest and how does this make it money back on there? But, you know, from a city standpoint, I feel like a lot could be done. I feel like others have uh, tried to get those tax incentives and everything else, tax breaks, uh, you know, and protections in place for for uh, folks and people that have been marginalized for, you know, for a long time. So, I mean, I see a lot of great things. I see a lot of opportunity for anyone who wanted to diversify their portfolio of where they could invest in the future of Omaha and where the growth is going to come from. And if you want to invest in anything, it's going to be culture. It's going to, And that's hard, right? How do I, as a city, uh, invest in something that's not for the mass majority, which is a representative of leadership, you know, and, and, and the simple place is, is that you're going to have to trust and get folks together who um, you take a pulse and you're going to have to put that investment in there and know that that's going to help balance the load and help the growth and help start planting those seeds of change. You know, that's, that's just what I believe. i
This isn't for nothing, finish running, finish rushing, yeah This ain't no discussion, we got so much life I decided that it's all good Living in the moment, so that's something that we all should Do it for the people in my city and it all hurts Staying up ain't easy, so we gotta learn to fall good and Get up, get up, get up out that hole you in Glory be to God, cause he made you and you born to win Many people giving up, then we end up mourning them Remember when it's really dark, it's almost time for morning it. The devil made a friendly face and people end up joining it It's when they end up lost, I'm glad that mama made a boy to win I know you're tired of the same old thing I know you're tired of the same old thing I know you're tired of the same old thing Trust me, I feel the same I know you're tired of the same old thing I know you're tired of the same old thing I know you're tired of the same old thing Trust me, I feel the same We've been talking around you know, some sensitive issues, I think, with about uh, as regards the ecosystem here, the cultural ecosystem, the you know entrepreneurial ecosystem, and so on and so forth. What, what are you doing now to try to contribute to changing the discussion, moving the needle, um, and maybe creating an argument for people either in this community to stay and thrive or people outside this community to come? Mm. Uh, I'm just wondering what, what you're doing, what you're contributing, and... and, and um, how you're trying to sort of change that conversation for the future. You know, I've been called a lot of things, some of them good. And uh, <laughs> one was ambassador. And, and I, I feel like that's something I try to cling on to is when I heard that term about myself, again, like when you read the path that I've traveled throughout my career, um, it's, it's hard for me to hear about it, but it's true. And it's kind of like, wow, is that really me? Did I really do that? Um, but ambassador, you know, and I, and I, I try to be that way uh, mindfully, and uh, that's just through living, you know. And and when someone asks, "Why are you there? Why are you here?" which is a common question that's been asked for decades, um, I just really say the amount of opportunity. I see a lot of potential in Omaha. It's it's has a lot of fulfilled potential in it currently, but I see a lot more. I see. If this is the brain that we're using 10% of, I see 90% more of this brain that we're not using and this, and this heart that we're not using. But that 10% is probably a lot more than a lot of other places and spaces. So it is kind of that. But I'd say an ambassador having those conversations that you know, are challenging, uh, just living by example. And it's not you know, anything different than what I do now. It's not you know, making sure I'm engaged on boards, but I get asked to be a part of those. So those, that's that's good. I, I don't actively seek um, uh, to be on boards, but being a part of those conversations, just being engaged with people like yourself who have their finger on the pulse and who are uh, sharing culture and crossing boundaries and all those things. You know, that's, that's what I do is as a, a quote unquote, I guess someone else called me ambassador. There's a lot of things that I want to change in this world, but you know, my cape isn't big enough and I don't have <laughs> enough money. I even watch Bill Gates and, you know, he had, you know, he has all this wealth and he's like, I'm going to eliminate this in Africa. And, and he couldn't even do it. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm never give up. I'm not saying give up. I'm just saying, no. what can you can, what can you have an impact on? And that is each other closest to us and probably more physical proximity. Even though I like technology to some extent, I'm, uh, you know, the, the physical, and even though I'm an introvert, 
I still believe that the people closest to us can have, you know, the largest effect on, you know, our lives. I love that expression, crossing boundaries. I want to go back to your documentary filmmaking. It feels like some of the most illustrative of your work that I think grabs some of your self-taught skills and talents around photography, operational work, business, directing, having a big vision, collaborating with people. But much more than that, also presenting something that honors something bigger, more noble, something that speaks to our better selves, a better mm-hmm. world. And so that's that's why I, I'm coming back to that. You've mentioned Out of Frame, that particular documentary. I was watching one called I Do Not Use, mm-hmm. which is another short, but extremely powerful and provocative. And I just wonder if um, you would talk a little bit more about the documentary work you're doing I just wonder if there's some deeper, broader aspiration you have for that work. All of the opportunities. uh, One of the interesting things that I haven't been able to wrap my mind around is that I've always attracted a certain type of business. I've never had to do any marketing um, per se, direct marketing or put out an ad. I've never placed an ad in anywhere or anything. So a lot of these opportunities and experiences and even documentaries and uh, that uh, I do not use the N-word was, uh, was a creative endeavor um, through a great friend of mine, Frank O'Neill, who's a poet and artist. Um, and uh, those, those came to me. So, I mean, I, I feel like everything that we're doing as a, as a collective with um, people that uh, I get a chance to work with or that come to seek the services that we, we uh, uh, connect with folks, you know, those, that's, that's what we're doing. So I feel like just the, the intention of what we put into our work ends up coming back to the type of work that we get. Cause I, I had to talk to my, my editor the other day and we were just, you know, we're really close and we chat all the time and we were just discussing about, you know, we don't uh, attract the traditional commercial, uh, just heavy commercial, clients. We've done it. Uh, we get a lot on the line of it, but somehow I talk them into probably something that can give them the same outcome uh, commercially, but maybe a different approach than writing a script and, and doing something so storyboard driven and everything else, a little bit more fluidity. So it's just approach and philosophy in that. So, um, you know, even the, I do not use the N word just to briefly discuss that you know, when Frank came to myself and I and, and the team here, you know, it was just something where I said, okay, I'll do it. 
uh, there was really no money involved. It was just a matter of, I could see a vision behind that. And I really didn't get a chance to express too much uh, creative, like purely creatively where there wasn't uh, a commercial endeavor behind it. And uh, so we did it. When I got done with it, I, I guess usually I'm kind of the person that has an end in mind. The end in mind was getting a finished piece done, but when we got done with it. Um, I was like, I don't know if this is going to fit into the documentary, you know, film festivals. I, I don't know what to do with this. Um, I really liked it. I knew in my heart, it gave me goosebumps, you know, so it passed all the litmus test of, of like, okay, this feels right in my heart. And I shared it with some folks and immediately, uh, you know, everybody had a place or uh, something that they had a vision that they felt like it needed to be seen. And so, you know, that went into a few art galleries and uh, a few screenings. Um, and, and so, you know, it was, it was encouraging because I didn't know it was such an intense piece that he had written that the visuals behind it that connected that uh, storytelling, I was like, I don't know if this is, I don't even know what, you know, if people are going to be okay, are you okay with this? You know, and this is years ago. So, you know, this is before even the Black Lives Matter movement and, and kind of the, the eruption of sorts socially, you know. Isn't that maybe telling? I mean, it's unfortunate that it is relevant today. And I might therefore say good art is presciently telling us this, this, is, this is what is and what's happening. Mm. And I wonder if that's part of the response you've had to it. I think so. I think so. I feel like so. Um, everybody's interpretation on it was just, you know, profound because it, he, he writes in a, uh, a surreal, he calls it surreal poetry. And that's, that's his uh, proclaimed uh, uh, term. So having something that wasn't so literal, that was a little bit more metaphorical, a little bit more abstract, uh, having everyone kind of be subjectively watching a film like that, you know, uh, it, it really is telling. Absolutely. I've read you say, my driving factor now is love, not fear. And I wonder if you could just unpack that. It's been a, a journey of uh, a lot of meditation and uh, self-reflection and just reflection in overall of, you know, learning from a primal instinct that, you know, people are driven by fear or love. I feel like a lot of uh, creative and a lot of marketing at times, and, and it doesn't mean like a uh, fear of self-preservation, is it needed to protect oneself? That's, that's very true. But you know, as the example that I shared about people sharing those stories, it was always the victimizing and the, you know, feel sorry for me, put a quarter in my, 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 my tin can. And that's not it. You know, then it was the love of humanity and the love of uh, our experience. And even if it's a difficult time, uh, what that can bring and just, and, and I say humanity a lot because I can't stress it enough. I feel like it's, that's, you know, something very near and dear to myself of understanding the complexities of being human, which by, by any term is flawed. Um, there is no, you know, perfection. It literally is to be flawed and to accept that and to love all parts of that. And cause that's what love is. And so that's, that's just kind of, uh, you know, something that, uh, uh, when we were putting together the, uh, the new website and all the the copy and being everything else. I said, you know, let me put, be a little vulnerable about this and put that out there. And that's, that's a part of it. It, it takes, 
I don't know. I, I just have a theory that it takes a lot more heart to say, you know, to, to care versus to say, I don't, I don't give, I don't, I don't care to pretend like you don't care. It takes a lot more heart, you know, and it takes a lot more strength. If someone wants to show how strong and macho and tough they are, then it takes a lot more to say, I, I love you and that I care about you and that, you know, Hey people, I, I get it. You know, we're all just trying to make it out here. So yeah, that was just it behind that. Support for this show comes from the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce. We don't coast, we accomplish more together. Details at omahachamber.org. My guest today has been Jason Fisher, filmmaker, graphic artist, and photographer, and founder of the creative agency Surreal Media Lab. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show. All right, all right. Thanks again for uh, inviting me to this and just having me be a part of it, you know, in the conversation. I'm not even a small business, Stuart. I'm a micro business. <laughs> I am a one-man band, but, you know, I, I rely on a lot of talented people and I help collaborate with a lot of folks who are very talented, either business owners or individuals. And But I am a micro business. And so I answer the phone. I'm my own secretary. I, I take out my own trash. Um, I got to try to look smart, as you say, every day. So, you know, it's like first day of school every day. I'm picking out clothes every day. And, you know, and then just trying to find a little time for myself, you know. That's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at Lives Radio Show. The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives Radio Show and Podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more. Thank you.